0: They're flocking. (laughs) Okay, we ready to go? Good, great. Well, welcome, ladies, to This Is Love. I I love the title, although I'm a little, I'm not sure how to refer to it. Do I refer to it as This Is Love or This Is Love? I'm not sure how to do that. But either way, welcome. I'm so happy you're here. I'm humbled that you're here. uh, And I appreciate that you are here, because it means I get to teach. (laughs) And I love to teach, so uh, I appreciate your being here. And I also am so excited that we get to walk through these four letters, sometimes um, lesser known letters. First John, not so much, but certainly, you know, second John, third John, and Jude, you know, who reads those? We are. We get to read them, and, and I think you'll find them to be fascinating, wonderful letters. Well, I almost didn't put this part in here because I figured like everybody here would have been in my studies for the last 12 years or even two years and they'd know about me already and then I read the list of names and I was like oh okay but whenever I do this whenever I tell you about me I kind of feel like the old joke I heard which was a guy that was talking to another guy and talking all about himself and then he got done talking about himself and he said well enough about me what about you what do you think about me so I, I do feel a little bit like that when I talk about me. But, uh, but I am Amy, and I am your teacher. And if you have uh, anything um, negative to say about the study, I didn't write it. But if you like it, I did. <laughs> and, and actually, I did, I did write it. So And in honor of Transformation Tuesday, because I'm all about the Facebook now that my, my mother-in-law keeps calling Facebook. Um, <laughs> In honor of Transformation Tuesday, I do have some pictures for you of my family. I've been married to Jeff for 28 years. We just celebrated our 28th anniversary. And I looked at this, and there he is just before we got married, and there he is building a retaining wall for me last week. I know, I know. The glasses have changed more than the man. And really, the only thing that has transformed are the glasses. I'm a lucky woman. He has these incredible aging genes. Does he not? My mother-in-law is nearly 91. She'll be 91 a week from today and you would never guess it. So he's got these wonderful aging genes. So wonderful. Actually they're not because he went to the bank with our son Lane who's 15 to take out money and Lane needs a parent with him to take out money. And the guy looks at Lane, looks at Jeff and goes, "Look, but I can give you the papers to take home to your parents, but I can't just give you money without your parents." <laughs> and Jeff goes, "I'm his dad." And he goes, "Oh, I thought you were his brother." And I'm like oh. Seriously? The dude's 57 years old. And I told him, I said, we're going out on a date tonight. I hope the waitress doesn't think I'm your mom. (laughs) But he does. He's got these these great uh, aging genes. And I am truly, truly grateful to and for this man. I feel much like the Knight did in the Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. I chose Wisely. And he is a wonderful, wonderful man. We have three kids. Our oldest is Josh. And uh, he is 24, just turned 24 on Sunday. And the old news that if you've been with me before, you know that he works for Blake Erke. He helps Blake build things and he loves that and he loves Blake. And I'm so tremendously grateful that Blake is in his life. Uh, And he's trying to figure out what to do with his life, which he's been trying to do for quite a long time. Does he go back to school? Does he keep working? And he'll figure it out. I have no uh, doubt about that. The new news is that Josh has a girlfriend, and we love her, (laughs) and we're so excited for him and to see where God leads that, and he's happy, and we're happy, so it's all good. Now, did I do a Transformation Tuesday on Josh? That's my niece, Lucy, by the way. Isn't she cute? Yeah. She's from Ethiopia, and we love her. She asked her mama recently, you know what? I think that means I have Ethiopian boogers, right? (laughs) Yeah, maybe that's true, but she is adorable. And uh, yeah, so in honor of Transformation Tuesday, that smiling boy sometimes turns into this guy here with the knife and the turkey. and So he, he can transform, too, just in a, in a different way. Uh, our middle child, our daughter, is Katie, who's in the middle of this picture, too. And I call this the Katie's College Conundrum. If you've seen one of these pictures before, it was on our Christmas card. Uh, a year ago, she was deciding which school to go to. There were five choices, but the top three were Hope College in Holland, Michigan, Belmont College in Nashville, Tennessee, and Calvin College in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and I'm here to tell you that Hope College won the Katie Keyser sweepstakes, and they are the lucky school that got to enroll my daughter. But I also have to tell you that I really feel like we went from this to this in a heartbeat. Uh, and it's amazing uh, how quickly that went. And so as long as I'm showing you her senior pictures, I want to show you what I think is my favorite picture ever taken of Katie. Because if you want to know what my daughter is like, free spirit. Yes. that's it. <laughs> that's my daughter. She is full of joy, she is full of energy, and she is a free spirit. She's a wonderful young lady uh, and doing, doing very well. Uh, at Hope. The question I am most often asked at this stage in my life, and usually it's with a hand on my shoulder, how are you doing, Amy? (laughs) And I I really do appreciate it. And the truth is, I'm actually doing very well. Uh, And in fact, I am Valium free, which a year ago, I was not sure I would be (laughs) at this point. But but I am, and I've never been on Valium. I should probably (laughs) correct that. I was thinking I was going to need to start being on Valium uh, because Katie and I are are so close. And I do miss her. And I still have trouble walking past her clean but empty bedroom, Um, but I know, I know that she is following God's call for her life. And I have this weird sense that it's time uh, for this to happen. I'm not sure why I have that sense, like, well, I am, it's God, and she's happy. Uh, and so how can I not be happy for her? So by God's grace and because of praying friends and family, I'm really doing very well. Uh, our youngest child is Lane, and he is 15. I know, wow, you <laughs> those of you who have known uh, Lane for a while are like, how did that happen? Yeah, he, he turned 15 in July. And I figured out recently why I wake up in the morning and go, well, where did that gray? And now there's another gray hair. And how did I just sent one off to college, and I'm teaching another one how to drive? Well, hello, yes, I'm getting gray hairs quickly. It cannot be because I'm 53 years old. That cannot be why I'm getting the gray hairs. Uh, So yeah, he's learning to drive, and he's a freshman at Cornerstone Christian School, running cross country, and looking forward to playing basketball. Uh, And I don't want to scare you, young mothers, but let's just do a little transformation. Tuesday on Lane. That is four years ago. That is what four short years will do. Yeah. So it's I know now all of you are like, no, go home and hug your babies. Okay? <laughs> While you still can I was just telling someone this morning that as as you know, recently as a year ago, I'd be talking about Lane and I'd go, my little one. I'd be like, you oh, know, my little one's six feet tall now, so he's not so little uh, anymore. Uh, And then the youngest, or not the youngest, actually, because in dog years, he's like 60-something. This is Barkley, the wonder sheep who, the the smallest member of our family, and he's adorable. Um, He did give me heart palpitations recently when he ran away from the people that were watching him while we were in Michigan, Uh, but he was found, thankfully, um, healthy and fine, but, but very traumatized. And it took a few days for him to get over the trauma of having run away. I don't think he'll do that ever again. Um, so, but enough about me and my family. Let's talk about the study for a little bit. Um, my philosophy in teaching Bible study is very simple. I am a simple gal. When I approach a portion of God's scripture, here's what I want to know. I want to know what does it say, what does it mean, and how can I apply it to my life. I believe that there is value just in knowing what this book says, even if we don't really understand it. There's value in knowing what it says. I, um, for my paying gig, I teach elementary PE, which I know those of you who don't know me are like. Seriously? But I do. I teach elementary PE, I love it. I do it two days a week at Cornerstone Christian School. And I get hugs all the time. I'm walking by, I'm explaining what we're doing to a kindergarten class the other day. I'm walking by, and this little girl looks up and goes, I like you. <laughs> <laughs> I like you too. Uh, so it's, it's great fun. And one of the ways we stretch in my PE classes is with Bible verses. We use Bible verses to start our stretch. And so my kindergartners know the Lord is my shepherd. We're patting the head of the sheep. <laughs> I have all that I need. They might not understand what it means that the Lord is their shepherd and they have all that they need, but they will someday. And there is value for them in just knowing those words. And they say it with a big smile on their face, and it's, it's just wonderful. But of even more value is knowing what it means. Have you ever heard the verse, test the spirits? That's in 1 John, where John says to test the spirits. You know what that means? You're going to, because we're gonna study that. And so you're gonna come away from that, I believe, having an even deeper and more powerful understanding of God's word, because you understand what that verse means. But most importantly to me, in my prayer every semester, is that the truth would penetrate past our minds and through our hearts so that it might be lived out in our lives. Amen? Amen. You have in your binders before you the study. Uh, It's the complete study. And uh, you have each week five days' worth of questions designed to be done in five different days. Nobody knows if you don't do it in five different days. I don't do it in five different days. I can't. I don't have that much time to do it. I do it in two days. Uh, So there's a day one, a day two, a day three. There's not a particular day of the week assigned to it. Uh, There are approximately seven to 10 questions per day. It'll take you, I think, 15 to 20 minutes. If I'm really wrong about that, somebody should probably tell me because I say that every semester. Um, So for example, for this week, you'll be studying 1 John 1, 1 through 7. That's it. Seven verses. That'll be fun. Uh, And you'll, you'll, at the end of it, go, how did she lecture for 45 minutes on seven verses? And I will. It'll be great. So next Tuesday, you'll come and you'll uh, discuss those questions that you answered on 1 John 1, 1 through 7. And then you'll come in here and I will do that lecture on 1 John 1, 1 through 7. Uh, There are three types of questions. Regular questions just have a number in front of them. Challenge questions say challenge. It's kind of a dead giveaway that it's a challenge question. And and those questions uh, are questions that you might have to look at some sort of outside source to find, like a dictionary or something, uh, an outside source to find the answer. You may also already know it, and then there are thought-provoker questions, which I always say are questions which are designed to provoke thought, um, and they're not so easy to answer. You can, you know, look at a question and say, "Oh, that's easy. It says right here that this is." I'm also writing a study on Mark for second semester, and you know, Jesus went to Caperna- Capernaum. Where did Jesus go? Oh, it says right here he went to Capernaum. So um, some of them are easy but the thought, the regular questions, but the thought provoker questions are ones that make you think. And you may not come up with an answer right away. You may not come up with an answer at all. You may want to leave it blank, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Honestly, sometimes I get to those questions and I go, I have no idea what the answer to this is, and I wrote it. (laughs) And I have to go back and restudy for the lecture to kind of figure it out. So um, that's fine to leave those blank. Also at the top of each uh, week, you have a memory verse. All I ask is give it a shot, you know? If, if you memorize it, you memorize it. If you don't, you don't. But I'm just, I'm just throwing down the gauntlet, just a little bit. Jill Collicott still has last year's verse memorized, and it was long. I didn't do that to you this, just give her a hand. I, yeah. I told her I need to bring chocolate for her for that, because that's, that's really something. I didn't do that to you. I started out making you, making you, that's really bad when it's God's word, I shouldn't say that, having you memorize a, a passage again, a continuous passage. And I ended up deciding against that, so it'll be shorter. of, yeah. <laughs> thank you, and good night. Um, yeah, so that you'll be memorizing different passages from throughout uh, the, the books that we'll be studying. Um, now, what happens if you don't get all your questions done or don't get any of your questions done? Here's what happens. Still come. Please come. Nobody's going to see you. We're all, We're all busy women. Nobody's going to judge you. Nobody's going to look up and go, oh, I got all mine done. Nobody's going to do that. And and while I think that the study works best when when you have all three components, you've done your study privately, and you've met with a group and talked about it and talked about life, and then you come in and listen to whatever I have to say, I think that's the way it works best, and that's the way it's designed. But here's the thing. You will get more out of the study by coming and spending time with ladies talking about the things of God and listening to the lecture than you will if you stay home because you're embarrassed you didn't do your study. So please come anyway, and you can, you know write down notes, and it, it'll be fine. Uh, please come anyway. Now, these are important, and you may be impressed by this, but these are my qualifications to teach you. Here they are. I love God's word, and I love to teach. That's it. Those are the only qualifications I have. I don't have an advanced degree. Yet, I'm working on a, ma- well, not working on a master's. I took some classes toward a master's. I should say I'm a master's. Um, I don't have an advanced degree. I didn't even go to Bible college. I was asked that once, did you go to Bible college? No, I did not. I have a bachelor's degree from St. Olaf College in social studies education and physical education, which means I have something. Probably pretty good to bring to the table if we're talking about, say, U.S. history, or if we're on a basketball sideline. I have parents tell me all the time, "I want to sit next to you during the basketball game because I learn stuff when I sit next to you." Uh, so, but as far as we're concerned, these are my only qualifications. I love God's word and I love to teach. Now, First John and Second John, but and Third John, but particularly First John, I, I've been calling it soundbite theology. Because here's the deal with 1 John. A lot of people know a lot of the verses, or a number of the verses, in 1 John really well. Uh, let's, let's look at some of those. These are well-known and beloved verses. In 1 John, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. 1 John 1:5. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Uh, chapter one, verses eight and nine. See what great love the Father has lavished, I love this verse, has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God and that is what we are. Three, one. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. 1 John 3.16. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. 1 John 3.18. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love this is how god showed his love among us he sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him this is love not that we loved god but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins dear friends since god so loved us we also ought to love one another first john 4 7 through 11. we love because he first loved us first john 4 19. Probably most of those, if not all of those, are very familiar to you. The thing we get to do, the wonderful privilege that we have, is that we get to study these verses in their context, to really understand why John wrote what he wrote, within the purpose that he intended. And I believe that will make them even more powerful, even more special, even more beloved, than they already are. So let's look at that context a little bit. All four of the letters that we will study this semester, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and Jude, are set in an unhappy time in the church. There is a dispute within the church. It's different for Jude than it is for John's epistles, or as the scholars say, the Johannine ep- epistles, uh, at John's epistles, but John's epistles are all about a singular dispute within the church. There was a theological component to this dispute. So in part, it was a theological dispute that required discernment, particularly since they didn't have the New Testament. We can look to what is truth and know what is truth. We've got this, we've got the canon. They didn't have the canon when John wrote this they had uh, some uh, uh, some letters that were floating around from Paul and from others they had some gospels that were floating around but they didn't have a singular what my sister calls my beast of a bible they didn't have a singular collection of what was true they did in fact though have a content of orthodoxy that had been handed down from the apostles they just didn't have it in the form that we have it. So they needed to be able to discern the truth and how do you do that if you can't say, well in Galatians 3 it says, how do you do that? And John's gonna tell us. Also along with this, there was a behavioral dispute which required correcting. All three of John's letters deal with the same dispute, just different aspects of it. First John is a general circular letter to to area churches, to to numerous area churches. Second John is to a particular church, most likely a house church, uh, just a singular church. Third John is to a guy named Gaius. But all of them have to do with this same dispute. Uh, Jude's letter also deals with theological dispute, just a different one than John's. So let's look specifically at the letters of John. When we get to Jude, the last two weeks of the semester, we'll talk about that. But let's look at John's three letters. Who wrote these these books, these letters? Well, they're entitled 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, so that's a pretty good clue there. However, they are all three technically anonymous. 1st John names no author. 2nd and 3rd John say that they are from the elder so john doesn't name himself in that but for the most part they have always traditionally been attributed to john the apostle one of the 12 the author of the gospel of john and i see no reason not to go with that to believe that the same john that wrote the gospel of john and was the beloved disciple, and was a disciple of Jesus, an apostle of the church, a leader in the church of Jerusalem, is the author of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. External evidence that John is the author for these letters is, is pretty strong. External evidence means outside of scripture. So what evidence do we have outside of scripture that John wrote these letters? Well, certainly the Gospel of John and 1 John have been attributed to, to the Apostle John from the earliest times, from the earliest writings. Um, and, and there's nowhere where the Gospel of John or 1 John is attributed to anyone else other than the Apostle John. And that is confirmed by a number of early church fathers. We'll talk about a couple of them in a minute. Second and 3 John are a little more complicated. Uh, Because at the time that John was ministering, and we'll find out in a minute, in and around Ephesus, there was another guy that was called the Elder John. To to differentiate between him and the Apostle John, he was called the Elder John. And actually in Ephesus, I find this fascinating as a history teacher. In Ephesus there are two tombs, both attributed to a John, both claim to be the Apostle John's tomb. One is probably John's and one is probably the Elder Johns. but he, So he was a, lead, a leader in the church. So there, there's a little bit of a dispute because the letter says the Elder John, but I think that the internal evidence, both the internal and external evidence, uh, give us every reason to believe that, that, that the author of these letters is the same author and that that is... Uh, the Apostle John there is also internal evidence that this is true evidence within the Bible that the Apostle John wrote first second and third John Uh, but you're going to have to kind of follow like we're going to have to do an if then we're going to have to do a little geometry here uh, follow the the logic of this the gospel of John and first John are universally believed to be written by the same author and nearly universally believed to be written by the Apostle John First John reads like a commentary on the Gospel of John. And in fact, a lot of s- scholars believe that's exactly what it is. A lot of scholars including the ones that the two that I have read believe that John's letter, not in our final form but close to it, had been circulating. Not John's letter, John's Gospel had been circulating and that there was um, misunderstanding about it, which led to this heresy, which led to this dispute, the misunderstanding of the Gospel of John. By the way, the Gospel of John, a couple centuries later, was the favorite of, of Gnostics, of Gnosticism. We'll talk about that in a minute. So, so there was misunderstanding about what John meant, and so that he wrote 1 John to correct some of that misunderstanding. And some scholars think that it was at that point that he added John 1 to the Gospel of John, explaining in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that has been made. You're going to read 1 John 1 and go, whoa, that sounds almost exactly the same. So some scholars believe that he went, whoa, people are misunderstanding what I said. I need to go back and tweak this so that they understand, and I need to write this letter to make sure they understand what I meant by that. So whoever wrote, whoever wrote the Gospel of John wrote 1 John. That's really pretty obvious. The themes, the language, the style, the content is too similar for it to be two different authors. And it's almost universally believed, and I believe, that the author was the Apostle John. 1 John and 2 John also have incredibly intricate, Um, similarities in language, in style, in theme, in content uh, between them. And this has led scholars to say, whoever wrote 1 John, wrote 2 John. That's also almost universally accepted. 2 John and 3 John, same thing. Loads of similarities in language and theme and style and in setting. And that has led most theologians to believe that whoever wrote 2 John wrote third John. So follow the logic with me. The Gospel of the Gospel of John, the author of the Gospel of John is the same author of, as of 1 John. The author of 1 John is the same author of 2 John. The author of 2 John is the same author of 3 John, and it is universally believed, go back to the beginning, that that John the Apostle is the author of the Gospel of John. So I do believe that we can be confident that John the Apostle is the author of all of these letters that we are studying when the gospel was or not the gospel when the letters were written is a little bit difficult to pin down it was written after the gospel of John um, and they were all written at about the same time because they're all dealing with the same issue um, the Gospel of John was written probably between 70, AD 70 and 90, somewhere in there. And so the letters would have been written after that, possibly between AD100 or AD80 and AD100. Which leads to the question, um, could John have really lived that long? Could the Apostle John, who was one of the twelve, have lived that long? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, uh, Irenaeus, who is an early church father, was a student of Polycarp, who was a disciple or a student of John. And Polycarp told Irenaeus, whose writings we still have, that John lived to be very old and did live until very late in the first century or early into the second century. So absolutely, these could have been written that long. And at any rate, all uh, four of John's writings, and particularly first, second, and third John, were written late in the first century, so in the 80s or 90s of the first century. Now, where were they written? Where were they sent? And where uh, were they written, uh, where was John when he wrote them? Well, the answer is actually the, basically the same for both of those questions. John, uh, John s- sent these letters to churches, house churches, in and around the city of Ephesus, which you see on this map, and you have a map at the last page of your study is also a, a map, and Ephesus, is um, in what we now call Turkey. And if you look at the, this is also I find fascinating, if you look at the churches that surround it, you'll find those churches in Revelation, the seven churches in Revelation. Ephesus you can still visit. I really hope to go there someday. My father's last assignment was supposed to be in Izmir, Turkey, which is right there too. He didn't take it at the time. I was thrilled. Right now, I'm still thrilled. But I would have lived near it. I would have gone to Ephesus. But I wouldn't have cared because I wasn't. I didn't love Jesus, and I was 16, so it wouldn't have mattered. (laughs) Um, But Ephesus is there on the Aegean Sea. Beautiful, beautiful place. Anybody been there? Oh man, I'm jealous. Okay. But it's wonderful, isn't it? Talk to me about it sometime because you know, you know how much I would, I would love to go. So he uh, moved there. John moved there sometime just before the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD. He moved to Ephesus. And he became there, as he had been in Jerusalem, the leading teacher, the, the leading apostle of those churches. In fact, Irenaeus writes that Polycarp, to- that sounds like a fish to me. Does it sound like a fish to you? Irenaeus told, uh, or Polycarp told Irenaeus, who wrote down, that the leaders of the house churches would flock to John in Ephesus to hear him teach. Uh, and so he was the leading teacher, the, the leader of this sort of group of churches in and around Ephesus um, during that time. And uh, so he, he, as he had been in Jerusalem, had done that. It was, so it was probably also written from Ephesus. Uh, now, John did spend some time on the island of Patmos uh, being exiled there, so that's a, there's an outside chance, but everybody I read said that it was written from Ephesus, which is where John apparently spent, spent his latter years, and, and certainly where he was buried. Now, why? Why were they written? Well, all three letters, as I said, were written about the same dispute, but different aspects of it. And that dispute was false teaching that had infiltrated the church. This is different than, say, the false teaching we read of in Galatians where outsiders came in and Paul had to address that these Judaizers came in and tried to lead people in the church astray. This happened within the church. These were people who were already members of the church that had begun to believe and vociferously preach heresy. That's a word we're not real comfortable with today, but I think we need to become more comfortable with it. Um, So these were insiders that were preaching this heresy. Uh, And in this case, these members of the church uh, in and around Ephesus began preaching it and trying to convince others of this heresy. And actually, this led to a split of the church. We'll read about that in in 1 John 2, I think it is, uh, that the church split over this. and that, but that didn't stop what, what theologians call the secessionists, those that left the church. They still kept trying to pick off people. They were trying to destroy the church through this false teaching, uh, and to influence the members of the church still. And so John believed that he needed to, to address that. So what is the purpose then of uh, first and second and third John? Well, the first purpose, obviously, based on this why it was written, the first purpose was to combat this heresy that was being preached. Uh, now, John is not arguing with the heretics here. He's not taking on the heretics, kind of like Paul did in Galatians. Uh, but he is instead trying to help the members of the church discern truth from heresy. He wants to get them to know how to identify truth so that they can stand up to the heretics and say, that's not right. What you're preaching is not truth. So, in order to accomplish this, John gives his readers, which includes us, some criteria criteria by which we can know the truth and know what is true. That's his first purpose. His second purpose in writing this is to bolster the assurance or to assure his readers, uh, the members of the churches that he founded because they were confused. They they were like, what is true? Am I right? Am I wrong? Am I really in the faith, or are these guys right? Who is Jesus really? And so they had become uncertain of what they believed, and John wants them to know that they, not the secessionists, are the ones that truly know God, that they are the ones that have eternal life. In fact, John leaves no doubt what his purpose is in this letter. He says in John, 1 John 5, 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. So that is also his purpose. Now, who were these opponents that were preaching this heresy, and what was their heresy? Well, the opponents, we cannot give them a name like they did with the Judaizers of Galatians, or an exact identification, Mostly, we could know who they were by what they were preaching, and we know what they were preaching because of the content of 1 John. Um, So, um, and and we can't know it in part because none of their writings survived. We don't have any of their writings today, but we have John's writings. Um, So the heresy um, had sort of a dual focus. The first focus of the heresy was on Christology which is just a fancy theology word for who is Jesus. Um, So if you, you know, some people have a Christology that says Jesus was just a great moral teacher. That's a Christology. It's a wrong one, but it's a Christology. And, And so they had a wrong Christology. They had a wrong answer to the question, who is Jesus? And it was wrong because they denied that Jesus was the Son of God. They denied that Jesus came in the flesh. For, for the Son of God or for the Messiah to have come in the flesh would have been heresy to them. Uh, so they denied that, they, that Jesus came in the flesh. He just sort of appeared to come in the flesh, but he wasn't really a human being. Uh, and therefore, he didn't die for our sins because he wasn't really in the flesh. Uh, they denied that Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah, the Messiah. So part of their their heresy was this Christology. The other part was ethical. It was ethics. Uh, They boasted that they were without sin. Really? (laughs) Wow. Uh, Yeah, they boasted that they were without sin. They boasted that they had a special knowledge of God that had been revealed to them, a special knowledge of and fellowship with God. They claimed to walk in the light and yet they really walked in darkness. They boasted that they loved God, and yet at the same time, they hated their brothers and sisters in Christ. They claimed to have a deeper, mystical religion, one that allowed them to have special knowledge of God. You may have heard this first word before, Gnosticism. It is in this heresy that we see the seeds of Gnosticism being planted. Gnosticism as a faith system didn't come into being for another couple hundred years. Uh, Gnosticism at its core is is a faith that no longer exists, uh, and Jesus does, but uh, that's a little little trash talk from the teacher. Um, Gnosticism at its core believed that there was special revelation that they alone had from God uh, that was heretical. So we see in this We have special knowledge. This has been revealed to us. Jesus didn't really come in the flesh. That's the seeds of Gnosticism being planted. Um, They also claimed that Jesus could not have been fully God and fully man. Um, And we see in that the seeds of what was called docetism that came a hundred or a couple hundred years later, that Jesus only appeared to be human. He wasn't actually human. In truth, what they were was elitist and intolerant. They were not just content to split the church and leave. They wanted to destroy the church by fundamentally changing the theology handed down from the apostles. And in one sense, they sort of succeeded with the churches in and around Ephesus because we don't hear much about them after this. But in another sense, they didn't succeed at all. So we're sitting here right now learning about the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So while there's a sad ending for John's churches, we know who wins in the end. So the themes of John, based on this purpose that we've talked about, that he was combating heresy and he was bolstering the faith and the assurance of his leaders, the first theme is discerning truth from falsehood. And the second theme is assurance of salvation. And other themes that we meet along the way in these letters are the Holy Spirit, community. How do we live together in Christ? How do we love one another well? And love. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. Ladies, these are profoundly contemporary letters. Our churches are still being split by people who would lead us astray. There's still a need for discernment between what is true and what is false, especially in a culture that flocks to messages that make them feel good about themselves. And the most dangerous of those messages are messages that come from within the church. And I found one this week, just this week, and you may have heard about this. And so I'm going to play a very short clip for you. There's a little funny thing at the end. I couldn't find a clip without the funny thing at the end. So just roll with it, laugh, and then we'll get serious again. But this, my friends, is one of the largest churches in our nation, led by Joel and Victoria Osteen, and listen to what she says to this church. There should be audio. Is it not working? Is it on the, like is it on the keyboard or something? Or, shoot, we should have checked this out. Because I do a really horrible Victoria Osteen impression. <laughs> I can try, but I just don't have the hair. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure to get anywhere as a, as a teacher in a woman teacher in ministry in this world, you have to have a southern accent. I don't have that either. So. Should I just tell you what it is? Yeah. So she's up there in front of these thousands of people, and this is what she says, and if we can listen to it in a minute, I'll let her prove it. But this is what, how many of you have heard this? So you can be my witnesses. This is what she says. Do good, but don't do good for God. Do it for you. Do it because it makes you feel good. Do it because it makes God happy, but do it for you. And then she says, and if you can get this to play, I'd much rather have her say it to us. Here she comes. I encourage every one of us to realize when we obey God, we're not doing it for God. I mean, that's one way to look at it. Okay, can you stop it for a second? Can you stop it for a second? Did you hear that? When we worship God, we're not doing it for God, really. I mean, that's one way to look at it. Now. Oh. God takes pleasure when we're happy. Okay. I love the music in the background too. That's kind of. That's the thing that. So I just want to encourage every one of us to realize when we obey God, we're not doing it for God. I mean, that's one way to look at it. We're doing it for ourselves because God takes pleasure when we're happy. That's the thing that gives Him the greatest joy this morning. You to know this morning, just do good for your own self, do good because God wants you to be happy. When you come to church, when you worship Him, you're not doing it for God, really, you're doing it for yourself because that's what makes God happy. Amen. No, not amen. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. -hmm. The highest value is that we be happy. And what makes God happy is when we're happy. Really? Do good, but do it for you. Worship for you. Don't worship for God. That's not who you're really worshiping. Really? Well, maybe that's not who she's really worshiping. Look, I'm not making some sort of statement about Joel and Victoria Osteen generally. I'm making a statement about these words in this video. And ladies... That's heresy, and that's a word that makes the church uncomfortable, but it's true. And so then what do we do about that? What does the church do about that? And John's going to tell us. John's going to talk to us about that, because the Bible says nowhere do good for you, but it says everywhere, be holy because I am holy. It says in Philippians, have the same attitude among you as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to grasp, something to take advantage of, but made himself, humbled himself to become a servant. It says we love because he first loved us. And the Bible says really absolutely nowhere, worship God for yourself. But this is what it says. It says, You are worthy, O God, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. And it says, You alone are God. You made the heavens, even the highest heavens, and all their starry hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to everything, and the multitudes of heaven worship you. And it does say, Who will not fear you, Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. All the nations will come and worship before you, and your righteous acts will be revealed. And it does say, you will have no other gods before me. And the me there is not me. It's God. And I may be a halfway decent teacher, but I'd make a really awful God and the only God we are to worship is God for him and him alone because he alone deserves the glory and it says in God's word that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess one day to the that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God our father not to the glory of me amen amen, amen. amen. so we must We must be able to discern truth from falsehood. And ladies, theology matters. What we know about God, what we view, a right view about God matters. A right view about Jesus matters. A right view of how we live as individuals and corporately in the body of Christ matters. These letters of John and of Jude are all about that all about helping us discern the truth about God, about Jesus, and about living rightly, and then helping us to know, how do I go out in the world and live that among others? I cannot imagine a more practical, helpful, and relevant topic, I think it's raining outside, relevant topic in our crazy, crazy world right now. Are you ready to get started? You're probably not ready to go outside right now. I am too. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your truth. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much that you have not left us abandoned without truth. You have given us the truth. May we live it out in our lives, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I am sorry we are late.